can understand that. Why, why should it be like helium? I don't get that at all. I hear it. Oh, I, I believe if you say you're hearing it, that's fine. Do you think I can be taken seriously if we record like that? Because I don't know what's going on. There's no way. It's a big, It's Alvin and the Chipmunks. Okay, um, am I going to be Alvin or the Chipmunk? Oh, my God. You can't be serious. I actually am. There's something wrong with the recording, Paco. Okay, give me a second. Let me, let me. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It sounds so ridiculous. But it must be sounding funny. You're thinking, I, I, I really, I, seriously, I cannot hear anything wrong with my voice at all. Okay, maybe it's on my end? I don't know. Um, let me I... touch something. Uh, give me one second. You just downloaded a new Skype, so... Uh, maybe. Uh, is it better There now? it is. Oh, okay, hello. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea. It was ridiculous. I, I have started to record that just so I can actually hear what you were hearing later on. Because right now, I I can hear myself normally. That's as, you know, as normal as I can possibly sound, which is not a lot anyway. So the feedback that was coming back to me was also squeaky like that. Okay, that's... That's so bizarre. That is bizarre. I hope it will not happen during the recording. I, I would be really pissed off if that were the case. Um, I'll, I would probably sue Microsoft for a couple of million dollars for ruining our podcast. Yes, because that's what the podcast is worth. I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I think some people think so. Um, they're wrong, though. Anyway, we're going to talk culture tonight, right? Yes. Okay, fine. Um, shall I start the podcast and start our bullshit? Sure, sounds good. Okay. And good evening, friends. Uh, hello and welcome back. Welcome back to the GMS Magazine RPG Room Podcast, in which we obviously talk about RPGs, you know, it's kind of in the title, it's there, you should have read it by now. I am Paco Garcia, your crazy host, and I am with... Jim Pinto. Wow. What kind of host are you? What kind of host am I? Yeah, I'm the crazy host, so which one are you? I, I seem to be grounded, actually, which is impossible <laughs> since I'm the asshole. So. Grounded. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> I listened to some of our old podcasts recently. Oh. And it's embarrassing. Yes. It's really embarrassing to listen to the show after we've recorded. It's, yeah. Um, I don't like my voice. I don't like... Well, I used to think I didn't say uh and um that much. And I say it... I don't say it all the time, but I say it enough to annoy me. Uh, I know I say it a lot of times because people have told me that I do, even though I have vehemently argued that. But I know that they are right. Yeah. Once you listen, you can't can't argue it. That's, that's why I don't listen. <laughs> Uh, I was you know. taking a sip of water. I almost spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably tell people that before we started recording, you had some Alvin and the Chipmunks filter going on. Yeah. What was and we couldn't get the recording to go right. And that was so funny. Yeah. What was that? I really have no idea what that was all about. I, th I think Skype hates me. Um, I think Skype hates the world. But um, never mind. Never mind. Tonight, uh, we're going to talk culture. 
culture. We're culture. Yes, in in uh, not the yogurt kind. No, we're going to talk about the culture that some people try to put in their role playing games, and how more often than not it just doesn't work. Yeah. Right. So why don't we start with um, because you're a sociologist or are you a sociologist or anthropologist? Anthropologist. Well, because you're a scientist. Um, <laughs> That's not really science. Well, but sure. Well, you know, um, you sound like one sometimes. Okay. Why? Why don't we first of all, in, in seriousness, why don't we define in in lay terms actually what is culture? Because I think. Uh, 99.99% of um, 100% of the population have no idea, including me, exactly what culture is. And I will explain why when I have, when you have explained why. Well, I can tell you why Americans don't understand what culture is. I can't speak for the rest of the world because I think the rest of the world, especially Asia, knows culture quite well. Okay. So I can explain why Americans don't know it. I can't really explain why Europeans don't know it, or at least people you're around don't know it. Okay, so explain so, why, why Americans don't know it. So because American culture is very much just wrapped around in the idea of working, making a family, buying a house, and that's it. That is the only shared cultural value that we as Americans have. And culture is a wider spectrum of things. It is values, beliefs, customs, behaviors, artifacts. And there's four big components that we'll get to um, that make up culture. But a, the shared cultural experience, what you go through – as uh, as a Spaniard or as a, as an Italian or as a, as a, someone that is Chinese or Vietnamese within the confines of your own culture is that experience that you have, you know that everybody else is having that same experience. So you can come to a shared contextual discussion or experience or whatever and understanding that everybody knows all these things. I was in Finland and everybody in Finland understood their culture and they understood that their culture was very different than the rest of Europe. And it was funny to listen to them talk about their own culture from within their own walls of that culture. And you wouldn't get that in America because the only thing that we understand culture to be is making money. Is, is that true, though? Because you, you do have, I think, um, I don't want to get uh, all uh, political about this, but you, you do seem to have, or at least you, you appear, you believe you have, and I'm saying this to you in a very generic kind of way, which I'm sure that some people listening to this podcast will say, well, that's not me. Fine, whatever. Um, you seem to have the illusion of some cultural aspects that in reality you basically wipe your ass with all the freaking There's time. There's a really great book called American Nations by, uh, I want to say Woodard. His last name is Woodard or Woodward. Um, he talks about the fact that America is made up of 11 nations. It's not one united nation, even though we like to call it that. We have a geographical and economical and maybe a political ideology, but we do not have a shared cultural ideology. People on the East Coast and West Coast have nothing to do with people – from the South and from the Midwest. The only shared cultural value that all those four people have is making money. The South has its own rich, defined culture, good or bad, moralistic or not. I'm not going to get into that. We can make judgments, value judgments about people all the time. People in Vietnam, in North Vietnam, eat dog, right? And we can judge that from the West and say that's horrible. But from Northern Vietnamese perspective, it's just a different animal. It's not a pet. And so for us to judge another culture is really kind of icky, and I don't want to do that today. 
I think that's a horrible way to approach this. Yep. I think people in the South, people in the Midwest, and role-playing games were born in the Midwest, right? So the 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 value judgment inside role-playing games usually stems often from a Midwestern philosophy or Midwestern moralism, moralism, if you will, about what the world or behavior should be like. And so from that perspective, it doesn't really get into culture that it doesn't need to understand. Uh, but, um, wow, uh, that was quite a mouthful. Yeah, it was. It was. And we're not even – we haven't gotten gaming yet. No. And this is why this is such a complicated topic because we don't know where to start the discussion of culture and games. So culture just sort of gets a hand wipe and – all it's we say about it in let's say the player's handbook for instance is elves are aloof and they don't really care too much about anything that's not culture that's a behavior pattern right that mm-hmm. not all elves are aloof we can honestly uh, sit down and say the same thing about any culture around the world all british people have a stiff upper lip that's not true no. there's a lot of them are that are irreverent or dickish they're not all don't all have a stiff upper lip so to say that about an entire culture is really uh, ignorant it's it's oversimplistic okay definitely that's a better way to say what i just said yeah i I think it's oversimplistic i don't think i I mean i don't think it's ignorant because let's assume that some elves can be aloof indeed you know there might be some some tribes or uh, you know um, whatever Sub races of elves that might be aloof. Uh, uh, not all single elves are. Good but you shouldn't be saying that about elves without having said a bunch of other things about their culture that uh, leads up to what their behavior is. Great. To say that about British without saying they have a long history of surviving, being attacked, or people wanting to take their resources, or having to put up with emotional bullshit or whatever. There's so much history to draw upon that led to British being the way they are today that to say that a British person has a stiff upper lip without addressing all of that cultural context is um, is doing it a disservice. Agreed. Definitely agree. Okay, so why don't we start with the, the principles? First of all, why do should – I'm not going to say do, but should – role-playing games that create worlds address culture within those worlds? Why do we need that? I'm going to quote something Kevin Wilson said to me a long time ago, and it was the smartest thing. I, I have carried this for years, so if Kevin's listening or somebody knows Kevin, make Kevin listen to this. Kevin Wilson said to me that if it doesn't affect my character or it doesn't allow me to write a better adventure, what is it doing in the book? And that that has stayed with me forever. So a lot of what we're about to talk about is stuff that maybe shouldn't appear in books, but at least we need to understand – in order to write books better. So culture isn't just how a character behaves or the kind of rituals that he he or she performs. Culture is a wide body of things that go on that create a shared cultural experience. And I just use the word culture to find culture, and that's the hardest part that anthropologists still argue to this day exactly what makes up a culture because it is so hard to define. But we know that there are four parts, composition, patterning, transmission, and grounding. And those four components, we only use one of those in role-playing games. We use the last one, grounding. Um, we don't ever talk about the previous three because, we one, we probably don't know how, and two, they don't do what Kevin Wilson was saying, which is affect my character. Okay, g- give us a, a very quick you know, um, elevator pitch of what is uh, each one of those four components. 
Sure. So composition is the it's all the abstract pieces that go into a culture. It's how our relationships operate. It's the symbolism of the culture. Um, it's it's the the it's not the rituals necessarily, but it's it's the it's the logic behind the rituals, and those are the things that get lost over time. So from composition, we're led to patterning and transmission, which both explain why the composition of a culture slowly fades over time because traditions the logic of the traditions gets stripped away. So if we don't pay homage to the traditions and know why we're doing it, they just become empty symbols. So composition is important in the beginning and it remains important as long as we can hold on to the logic behind why we're doing those things. And that's why we lead to a point where we're here in America today and we're still putting wedding rings on people without understanding what the logic of the ring was in the first place or why we carry flowers when we're at a wedding or things like that. Those are all compositional rituals that go into a culture that that through patterning and transmission lead to grounding. So patterning and transmission are a little bit different. Patterning is how uh, is how we continue to do all of those things together mm-hmm. as a group. Okay. And transmission is how we learn them from our parents. So what ends up happening with transmission, patterning is really easy to describe. I don't think I need to go into any deeper detail than that. Um, but to give you an example of patterning, uh, they, there's that that idiom all the time people say about uh, the Eskimos have 17 words for snow. Okay. That's a form of patterning, right? We have a lot of words for for friendship or love or friend in the United States because – or a lot of ways to say hello or how are you because of the nature in which we communicate with one another in, in the United States because it's so empty and gets away from talking about anything real. That would be a form of patterning. Transmission gets diluted over time because your grandmother may have not taught you everything that she knew about her culture. And over time, pieces of culture get lost through different families. And so when the larger your unit gets, let's say you go from a 50 people community to a million people community, that transmission gets lost. And so culture tends to become a lowest common denominator sort of thing, which leads to grounding, which is how you yourself apply the things that you've learned through mannerism, behavior, and so on. You know not to ask a woman how old she is or how many months pregnant she is. You learn that through culture because those are systemically, what's the word I'm looking for? Impolite to do that. But you learn that culturally. You don't learn that. Um, you don't learn that in school. Hmm. You learn that culturally. So that was a really long answer, and I am I apologize that was a really long answer. But culture is complicated. It is a complicated topic, and I I love culture, and I'm, I deal with it all the time when I'm trying to write books because I want to have a deeper, deeper, richer meaning to what it is that I'm doing when I'm making a game, and I don't want to do what D&D does, which is dwarves are grumpy. Uh, well, yes, I now that you have explained that, I can see why most RPGs just go for grounding, because it is what, it's, it's what you can see. It's, it's, the, it's the most obvious, most basic uh, most present part of a culture. It, it may not be the most important, um, and it certainly is not the the only one. But is is the simplest 
Way it is the simplest. Things. I wouldn't call it the most important, but it's the simplest. It's the one that we encounter. It's the one that we know. It's the one that allows us to have racist ideology about people, right? Mm-hmm. Because we just we have the simplest idea about what Greek culture is or what Ethiopian culture is or whatever. Pick a pick a country you don't like. And it is because you have broken them down to their grounding, not to their patterns or their transmission. And transmission would be the hardest one for us to ever see. You'd have to grow up there to understand transmission. But everybody understands the stereotype of the the uh, the stern Chinese or stern stern Chinese mother or father who, through transmission, makes sure that their children are really good at everything. Right. That's a, that's a form of transmission that we understand. We may not have ever called it transmission, but we get it. But we couldn't say that we understand transmission in every culture around the world. And so we don't bother to learn it. And it's just easier for us to say, well, you know, Mexicans make too many babies and they bring drugs to the United States and we don't want them in this country. So that is really easy for a racist person to say and just get away with it because they don't have to learn anything. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. No. So in that case, is that does that make um, a game worse if you just use grounding and why? I I think this goes back to the OSR model. Okay. I think when we first started playing D&D, we didn't give a shit. We just wanted, what's the bonus for being an elf? I don't want to have to act like an elf. I just want all the benefits of being an elf. And so there was a mechanical reason you chose a culture that was different than yours. Okay. And once the, the Pandora's box was opened and people wanted to play games that were richer than just going and killing monsters, they wanted to spend time in the city. They wanted to interact with other characters. They wanted to know why my elf hates that lizard man. They want to learn the, the cultural schisms, if you will, that exist between two kinds of people in a game. Once that Pandora's box was open, I don't think we could go back and close that door. I, th- I think that none of my, what I'm saying matters if all you want to do is kill monsters. If you want to sit down and play Shadowrun and just shoot bad guys, you can ignore today's podcast and ignore anything I say about culture for the rest of eternity. But if you want, a, and I'm not going to say better gaming experience, if you want a richer gamer gaming experience, if you want something else other than shooting gut people, you need to know why it is that your character believes the things that he or she believes. And if your character is just a reflection of you and there's no depth there, then again... Nothing we're saying matters. That's very true. No, that, that is actually very, very true indeed. Now, okay, so I can I can understand now uh, a little bit better uh, because my, my understanding of culture, although I, I thought I understood it and I had a pretty good notion, but you've put a couple of things into perspective. You know, I didn't understand how uh, transmission can be that, that important uh, and I understood pattering a little bit. Um, but now... Um, how does one go about creating one new culture in a way that will be, I'm not going to say uh, different, I'm just going to say original from what we understand as culture? How would you make an original culture in a role-playing game? Yeah. Um, wow, there's a number of ways to do that. I, I think you you have to go back and... Uh, define the macro before you can define the micro. I think we want to define what the character is going to be like and then work our way backwards. How does that culture lead to? Why is it that elves are aloof? And then have to go back and redefine all this culture. I didn't read the Cimmerillion 
did Tolkien define why elves are douchebags yes. in the Cimmerillion? Yeah, okay. yeah. I, actually, to be honest, I, I think um, probably the, the, the real masterpiece of that, that is the whole Tolkien world is because he does define the culture extremely well. Right. He, he does explain where everything comes from, every single thing. He, he tells you... Uh, where elves come from? Why are they so close to the Vala? Why are they so musical? Why basically they are goths on Earth? Right. Uh, right. And he explains the the expansion of Middle Earth and actually the Silmarillion does all that extremely well. And I think if you read the Lord of the Rings, you get a good grasp of what grounding is, uh, and it gives you a little bit of a hint. Right. about uh, other aspects of culture because it tells you a little bit about where Sauron come from and, you know, the Elendil sword and where Aragorn come from and blah, blah, blah. But if you go into the Silmarillion, it, it explains about, you know, the beginning of Morgoth and why Morgoth didn't want what was trying to be the dissonant music uh, of Iluvatar and why Sauron became so enthralled with Morgoth and why Sauron's hatred continued and why the elves and everything else it, it, it truly is fantastic it's hard to read i think it's hard to read but as, as far as i'm concerned it's my favorite book that um, tolkien ever wrote it's, it's it's just beautiful beautiful okay i could talk about the silmarillion for hours uh, I, I need to i need I, seriously i need to read again i've, I've read the book four times and, awesome. and there are stories in, in that book that still bring me to tears and, and make me chill just thinking about them. Um, so, yeah, it is, it is very, very highly recommended, that, that book. Uh, but, but talking about, OK, let's, let's talk about literature because somebody, um, somebody in a Facebook group I'm not going to mention, uh, I thought it was a stupid thing to say. But he said... Uh, the, um, we were talking about cultural appropriation, which is not for this episode, so I will not go into it. But he did say, literally, should we respect Nazi culture? Should we respect Lovecraft culture? And it seemed to me that he believed that any thought group or anything that's created that has a world attached to it is actually a culture. Uh, and I, I think that's bullshit. We kind of went into this. I think we talked about this briefly before. And I, I don't believe that Nazi is a culture. I believe it's a subculture. Hmm. It didn't – it doesn't have a history, right? It lasted, what, 15 years? If that, yeah, maybe 20. Right? It has some conditioning that leads up to it, but it is a subculture of of German nationalism that was going on at the time, which owes its patronage to so many other different versions of – Germanica, if you will, I think I'm making up a word, um, that you no, – I don't know why it would need to be respected. I, without talking no, no. to this guy, I couldn't understand his logic behind why it needs to be respected. I don't think it needs to be respected. No, absolutely not. I don't, I don't think Mongol culture, Genghis Khan's culture needed to be respected in the most purest terms, right? If I want to use it in a game, I'm going to use it in a game. I'm going to steal from it. I'm going to borrow from it. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to. To it, I think I have I owe some respect to modern Mongols who are alive today. But Genghis Khan was a barbarous asshole who killed thirty-five million people. What kind of respect do you think he deserves that I can't sit down and borrow from some of that culture and throw it into a game without 
having an opinion about it. I, I think that that's a stupid thing to say. Well, absolutely. I don't think he was saying that uh, he, he was questioning whether that should be respected because the conversation was about if you're going to take a culture and you're going to write about it and you don't belong to the culture, then be respectful, you know, be be mindful that some people could be upset and hurt sure. by your representation gonna, of the culture. If I'm going to borrow from Native American culture, who the United States has been oppressing for 500 years, by all means... I think I should show some a little bit of respect, if hmm. not a lot, a bit of respect. I've written a fucking screenplay about Wounded Knee. I should probably show some respect when I sit down and do it. But if I don't, if somebody chooses to write it and doesn't do it the service that it does, is that is that something for anybody to get pissed off other than the Lakota? Uh, probably not. I don't know. I wouldn't yeah. dare, you know, talking on their behalf. So I, I have no I, idea. Yeah. I, I'm a student of culture. I'm not necessarily a, a moralist of culture. I don't defend all of these practices and belief systems. I think that there's tons of shit that go on in India, which is one of the cultures that I love more than any in the world. But I still think there's a ton of shit that goes on in India that is stupid and regressive and holds them back from being without, for lack of a better word, better people. Right there, there are horrible things that go on still today in India that should not be going on in the 21st century. And to take a stand that it, I can't say that about India is just fucking inane. I know exactly why I'm saying it's horrible. I'm not being a racist about it. I didn't say Indians are bad because they smell like curry. I fucking actually understand India and I've studied it and I watch a hundred movies a year about India. So I think I know a little bit more than. Joe the plumber about India. So when I say that their marriage practices are horrible, mm-hmm. horribly regressive, I know what I'm fucking talking about. Well, no, I, I am aware of that because I have family in India and I have been in India and I have seen some things from India and yeah. I absolutely adore the country and I cannot wait to go back to Pushka uh, and Orcha. But I, yeah, I, I agree with you. There are some, some practices, but I think that can be said of pretty much any culture in the world. It can't. Exactly. Yeah. So why, why should anybody's culture? I'm going to use an example here. My, my wife is Korean. Mm-hmm. And her grandfather, and I've actually never said this publicly, so I've, this is going to be interesting for people to hear. Her grandfather died in a prison because uh, – great grandfather, sorry, not grandfather. Great grandfather died in a Japanese prison because he was a terrorist during the Manchurian occupation and he was blowing up Japanese-occupied buildings. Her family comes from a noble line and fucking hates the Japanese more than anybody could hate the Japanese. And she has every right from her family's perspective. To hate the Japanese and there is nothing you can do to have a conversation with any of them about the Japanese and even a moderate light. I'm not even going to tell them that they're wrong. They, they, their family paid the price for the occupation and they have every right to hate the Japanese from their perspective and you cannot change that. And that's another thing about culture that people always want to forget. We want to tell people in Croatia. No, you have to like Bosnians. You have to get along with them. We're going to come over here and send peacekeepers and make sure you guys get along. They've been hating each other for 2,000 years. Why the fuck do they have to get along today? Well, it's uh, maybe because it's, uh, you know, makes for easier um, kind of um, living together since they are neighbors and things like that. Yeah, sure, uh, sure, absolutely. You know, less less but, wars in the world kind of thing. But that's that's the history of mankind, right? This this path towards singularity of getting rid of these cultural schisms that exist. People that are more similar to one another are going to hate each other more than people that have nothing to do with one another. 
right? Think, Our opinion of China mm-hmm. is very it is very small in considered in comparison to United States uh, attitude about Mexico, because Mexico's right here, and we share a lot in common with their culture. We just don't want to admit it, and the things we hate about them as Americans, as a as a gestalt, the things that we hate about them are the things that we actually probably have the most in common with. Okay, so to bring it back to games, because we, we're just talking, you know, our usual conversations yeah. in Facebook, uh, to bring it back in games, what or how can we do it to actually be able to say these things without falling into flames and, you know, hatred of why dare you, how dare you say these things? <laughs> But isn't that the beauty of games, right? If I file the serial numbers off and I create two nations next to each other and one of them is doing a bunch of illegal stuff on the border of another nation and the other one wants to believe itself pious even though it has all this internal cancer going on into its culture if I sat down and I wrote those two cultures for a fantasy game and I didn't say the United States and Mexico now all of a sudden I've gotten away with talking about those topics without actually talking about those topics yeah, but we should be able to, I mean let's face it I should be able to write a game about you know, you, you have written lots of games about you know, what's going on in the United States and you should be able to do that But even right. even if you do it metaphorically, you can get in the in, in, in the file line, which is, I think, um, quite dangerous. And I, I can cite a, a particular example of a mistake that was made, um, but uh, it, it backfired a bit too too much. When when Bruce Cordell wrote The Strange, mm-hmm. um, he created a, a a bubble where. Um, It is basically based on uh, Native Americans. Right. And it was a little bit stereotypical. I didn't see it personally as a white guy who is not even American. I didn't find it insulting, but then it's not for me to feel insulted about it. But I thought it was a bit too simplistic and stereotypical. You know, if if you're going to say that people wear feather hats and and, and smoke, you know, um, peace pipes, then, then that's a little bit simplistic and um, a Native American uh, woman took, took that to heart uh, and it backfired quite badly because there, there was a petition and there was an awful lot of um, controversy now I understand although I completely disagree with her methods I, I thought she was way way out of line for for many reasons but I can understand that she wanted things to be better but my, my question is why should they be better i mean if, if you want to, to write something over simplistic why shouldn't you be able to do that it, it, yeah people are obviously allowed and entitled to call you on your bullshit and uh, your lack of um, development but you should be able to do that shouldn't we uh every single time i hear someone complain about some sort of social faux pas that someone makes at a game convention, in a book, whatever, and they call it sexist or racist or cultural appropriation, my immediate gut response is, well, why don't we just call it lazy writing? Why don't we lump all of this shit together into lazy behavior? Because that's what it is. And so if we call out lazy behavior for lazy behavior or bad writing for bad writing, then we don't have to have these long-winded debates about what is appropriate and what isn't. It, I don't think Bruce went out of his way to insult anybody. I think no. he has a long tradition of trying to write rich material. I, I, I think if you look at his resume, 
that's all you have to do is say, well, this is this is a pimple on an otherwise unblemished record. Absolutely. Um, Bruce, this is lazy writing, and that's all you had to say. And that argument probably would have died down faster, and there wouldn't have they wouldn't have needed to issue a press release and backpedal and defend themselves because the first thing I would do if somebody called me out on bullshit like that and I want to be as open and honest as I can with my my readers both of them is I would say oh yeah you know what that was just bad editing that was not that's not what was intended because that would just be the knee jerk reaction that that might not even be true but you want to the first thing you want to do is cool everybody's jets first so that you can have a calm discussion about it rather than, well, I don't think you know what cultural appropriation means. I don't, I don't think that we did that in this case. That's just the wrong route to go immediately. And you need to own up and have the conversation that needs to be had when these things go wrong. I got off of your question, but I think, I think that if somebody writes something racist or stupid and you want to call them on it, call them on it. And if, Somebody's making crappy games over and over and over again. Stop buying their shit. We've talked about this before, mm. Paco. This part yes. of it we've talked about before. Yeah, stop stop buying games from people that only know how to put penises on covers of books if that's important to you. But you know what? I, I think I'm going to say something slightly controversial here. Uh, but I'm going to see I'm going to say that actually there is a huge, huge amount of RPG people who actually that's what they want. You know, I, I think there's a huge amount of people who don't give a shit about culture in games. They just don't care. They right. want to see elves and they want to see dragons and they don't care if elves get married uh, tying something around their wrists because Iluvata told them to or simply because that's on trend today. They just don't care. So right. why, why should anybody bother putting culture in their books when people are not going to really appreciate that? Yeah, no, and that's a great point. There's a whole market for that. I, I started with this. The OSR model is built on the idea that I don't have to give a shit and I can just kill any monsters I want to and it doesn't really matter what my character's background is unless it gives me a plus one. Um, I think if you were lucky enough to game with a group that nobody at table gives a shit or the people that do give a shit have buried their opinion for 30 years and they don't even bother voicing it anymore, um, I think that you don't need this hobby anymore and you can play with the books that you've always had for 30 years but new people are getting into the hobby the hobby is changing things evolve and i think if books want to get better they need to start being written better they need to start addressing things other than how many hit points an orc has well uh, you know i am quite happy with the idea of addressing how many hit points an orc has i i just think i want to know a little bit more about why do orcs hate dwarves and vice versa? Right, right. You know, that yeah. is, is that sort of thing. Uh, but personally, I am absolutely tired, so goddamn tired of, of hearing that sort of diatribe, you know, or oh, this, this race hates this other race uh, yeah. because, wait a second, there was a king and there was some disputed land and they got on a hissy fit about it and now they hate each other. Yep, it's, it happens so often. It's it's just absolutely pathetic. Yeah, and it's back to lazy writing, right? Yes, somebody needed to justify it, and you know, I I think eighty percent of the writing that's going on could probably go away, and we wouldn't notice. But a lot of what goes on is notes people had when they were eighteen, writing a home campaign, and they're getting paid two cents a word, and they're just they're not going to come up with something new. They're just going to give the publisher something they already did. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit further than what you just said there for a second. I'm going to say it's not necessarily lazy writing because it might be very, very well written. I'm just going to say it's lazy thinking because it's definitely not very well thought out. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I, at some level I meant that. Um, I don't name, I won't name names. There is a particular writer in this hobby that I wish would just go away. Um, just just the one? Idea, just gone. Just I, I, Not hurt in any way. I don't wish anybody harm. But the writing I see coming out of some books, I... It makes my head hurt, and that's all. I just I don't want to go into detail about it. I don't want to go in depth. I don't want anybody asking me later who it is. But for somebody to annoy me that much, um, that I want to see their work gone, it's just it's it's an example of there's 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 a contingent of the customer base that wants that kind of shit, yeah. and I have nothing in common with that. Good on you, but I think. I think that there are books and I think there are games that have held back the development of of the hobby. Agreed, definitely. In a, in a positive way. Definitely. And, um, that that stupid fantasy sex book that came out comes to mind as as a step backwards, not a step forwards. It didn't approach sexuality in a positive light. It approached it in an exploitive light. And I think if the book had been about sexuality in terms of Sexuality is part of the human condition, and you can't avoid it if you're going to make a game about being human. I think that would have been a fascinating book. Instead, it was gnomes are pansexual and will fuck anything. I have no idea what book you're talking about. I haven't read it, so I cannot make a single bit of a comment about it. Uh, Valor Games, Valora Games, Valhalla Games. I don't know. They remember the name of the company, but it was. It came out during the D20 glut. And it had a bunch of sex art, sexy art in it, and it was. I thought it was uh, exploitive. I'm, I'm going to guess that it was written by a male, white <laughs> in his probably early twenties or late teens. I I think it was written by a bunch of different people actually, but uh, so a bunch uh, of white males in their maybe late teens, early twenties, thinking they were being edgy. That's no, it guess. was actually people that have been in the hobby a while. Which was the shocking part. Well, that doesn't mean they are going to be even in the 20s, you know, because, you know, being a while in the hobby, some people got into it when they were 12. And, you know, <laughs> sure. some people consider my career started when I started playing D&D when I was nine years old. I've been into RPGs for 57 fucking years because I started when I was nine. <laughs> yep, yep. God, I bet that really rattled a few feathers. Um, um, funny story. I wrote my first role-playing game in ninth grade. See? See? You are the perfect yep. example of what you just yep. said. But I would never say that's when my, my career began. But I actually, I was one of those kids that thought I could do it. I think every kid thought we could do it. Come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every single person out there has written a role-playing game thinking we can do it and we fail miserably. It's just that some people are better actually putting everything together and not giving a shit (coughs) and saying, hey, my book is great. Fucking buy it. So, oh my God, I could get into a rundown. We should do an episode about that, about making, making your game, whether or not you ever publish it, just do it. Because I think it's such a valuable exercise for people to to uh to examine that that creative process to see if they have the chops 
Well, but the thing is, anyone can do that. That's the problem these days. I mean, how many books we see out there created in Word and, and, and laid out in Word and they just get it out and, oh, look, this is my masterpiece and don't you dare criticize it, you lame moron, because I have published the book and what have you done? Fucking nothing, bitch. Oh, I, I sorry. I, I really could get into a rant now. So um, I... Uh the other the converse of that is i just spent two days recently agonizing over what order to put four different pages in my book because i didn't know what order the information should appear the material's all done and now i'm agonizing over what order that's fine that's fine read it in and i i doubt anybody that's in ninth grade that's writing in their first role-playing game is is agonizing over what order to put their book in don't think many professionals who've been doing this for 57 years would be agonizing about in what order to put their shit together because you know you read some books and you think well the fuck were you thinking but never mind that you see i i really am in a ranty mood why am i now in a ranty mood what's happening to me what are you doing anyway let's go back into the culture because we we seem i mean we are you know if this podcast had some sort some sort of um graphical representation it would look like the trajectory of a pinball in a very very busy pinball machine going all over the place that's our fault because we never outline true we we just make shit along as we go along um yeah which is you know kind of very unprofessional but very funny we're just two guys in two different rooms talking about two different things yes definitely okay so tell me Tell me, I think you're going to enjoy this question quite a lot. Um, we're probably going to be here for hours on end because you're, you're not going to stop. Uh, but I'm, I'm quite sure. I'm, I'm quite convinced. Uh, tell me, tell me, tell me. Um, why does uh, culture sucks in Shadowrun? Why does culture suck in Shadowrun? I haven't read enough Shadowrun to answer that question. But I think it sucks because it doesn't matter. I think at the end of the day, if you're not helping solve the mission, it, it it's a bad misfit movie. That's what Shadowrun is, and everybody loves the misfit movie, right? Everybody loves the the six guys from and girls from disparate backgrounds trying to save the day. Um, that's why they made a fucking Suicide Squad movie. Uh, but if where you come from doesn't really matter because the story's never going to be about that, then why are you different? Uh, okay, fair enough. I can I can go with that. I Guardians can... of the Galaxy was fantastic. Most people like it. Which one? And it's be- Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Most people enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a misfit movie, but we get to know why everybody's a misfit. And the things that make them them matter in the story. And if those things don't matter, it's just a pastiche. It's not a real it's not a real game, it's not a real story, it's not a real anything. So, would you say, uh, just just wondering, um, you know, this is only tangentially related to RPGs because there's an RPG about it. Uh, there's been several in the years about it. So, would you say that there is enough culture in uh, Star Wars? There's enough culture in yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. In the in the Star Wars universe, I think there's more than enough. I just don't think any of it matters. Okay. You sure? If you're not a Skywalker, who cares? Well, uh, you don't get to tell your story if you're not a Skywalker. Uh, true. So, okay, 
Yeah, I can. Well, almost true. Uh, there are series where you actually do get to tell the story. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I haven't watched any of the extra stuff, right? I've watched the seven movies, and I've dreaded most of them. Um, well, but, there are a few um, cartoon series that are actually very good. I loved some of the role playing material. Yeah. We ran the Dark Strider campaign back in the day, and I had a great time with it. But we were we were adding culture without knowing we were adding culture. We were just stupid kids. Yeah, but were you adding canon? I don't. Were we adding canon? Yeah, I don't know. I I think we were. Maybe. I you don't know, know. That's that's something that'd be an interesting topic for us to address. Exactly. Exactly. I was I was going to say that we should do an episode about whether canon matters in RPGs that are licensed. Yeah. Um, because some, some I I get the first thing I like to do when I'm running a role playing game is break away from the book as soon as I can because otherwise there's nothing to discover. There's nothing to explore if I'm just rehashing what's in the book. There's always a dungeon. <laughs> it's another dungeon. Yeah. But this one has iron doors instead of wooden doors. Exactly. Exactly. And this one has more rooms and it goes downwards. I think Blue Planet was one of the few role-playing games I picked up and I used a lot of the material that was in the book because it was so rich. There was so much there. And I knew the players didn't know anything about it. But I, you really can't do that with, say, Vampire. You have to go off the rails. Well, yeah, because, I mean, Vampire is based a little bit too much in our own culture, isn't it? So yeah, how, how do yeah. you get out of that one? But even, I don't even, know. I think you have to double down, right? I think you have to really immerse yourself and you have to make culture even more profound if you're going to do a Vampire game. Because it's about wanting to become human again. It's a wanting to get back to that culture that you're losing. Well, don't you you mean the vampire is not about you know being glittery under the sun? And oh, right, I forgot about that aspect. Of course, yeah. it's yeah. about God. Yeah. That, that upset me thinking about that movie and those books. Anyway, um, I want to point out the town. I've been to the town that the Twilight books are set in because they're right here in Washington. They're not very far away. Why didn't you and torch it? What's that? Why didn't you it, torch it? If you drive through the town, it's nothing. It's just another rural town in the middle of nowhere with a piggy wiggly gas and stop supermarket that's it that's all that's there you realize that if you get out of most large cities in the u.s that's all you have yeah yeah, tiny little towns dotted all over the place with absolutely nothing going on anywhere right but those are my favorite places to be honest really yeah, I love exploring those places. I oh really do. Oh, my God. You're going to find some sort of radioactive uh, mutant at some point who's going to eat you alive. I've I've probably explored, I don't know, a good maybe 10% of America, I would say. That's actually quite a decent amount. Yeah, yeah. I, I, get, I do road trips. I don't talk about this. I don't ever talk about this. I do road trips all the time. I've explored almost all of Washington in the four years I've been here. The only thing left now is uh, Central Cascades. Now you know where you can find Gene Pinto. Yep, now you know where you can find me. I actually go out and I hike and I take day trips and I... Yep, that's my outside of gaming hobby. And you explore American culture. I did all the ghost towns of California. I've really? Now that would be yeah. interesting. Yeah, I've seen all of them. I've, I did a, I plotted a trip, drove it, it took 12 days, um, explored part of Nevada on the way back. I've seen terrain that I didn't even know existed. I, so there's something to that for me. Is I don't think that culture exists in a vacuum. I think it's part of the landscape and the way people behave and act is part of where they are. Yeah, um, I, I can definitely go with that. So there's something for me as 
a quote unquote social scientist to to go and explore that as a hobby in my free time and, and see the world. And my wife's a fantastic photographer, so she always comes back with amazing pictures. And, you know, going back again into RPGs, because I think this is the least RPG-related RPG podcast we've ever recorded. Yes. Uh, but going back into it, one thing that people don't pay enough attention to when it's about culture in their games is architecture. I am yes. sick and fucking fed up of seeing medieval castles in medieval fantasies, fa bloody books. Can we please have something else that's not a medieval fantasy freaking castle? And you know, Dark Dark Sun was so good at that. Yes, right? Dark, Dark Sun was one of those games that really tried to elevate the cultural nuance of D and D in a way that Ravenloft and Forgotten Realms hadn't done. And I'm not going to harsh on Forgotten Realms because so much of what was done originally for Forgotten Realms was so smart. But I think it just became a repository for bad ideas. If we've got something that's not selling, let's throw it into Forgotten Realms. Um, but Dark Sun broke that mold, and then they had ziggurats instead of castles, right? Which in the yes. mid-90s was a step away, which is what you're talking about. And we've somehow, again, the OSR model, coming back to castles, we're always going back to Northern Europe. Everybody wants to fetishize Mort de Arthur. I mean, that's what it always comes back to, mm. is Charlemagne and the French and, you know, maybe a little bit of Austria and Switzerland. But those kind of castles... And that kind of culture is what predominates and speckles D and D. Yes, and I'm I'm so tired of that. And you know, I'm, I'm I want to go back into Dark Sun because they actually in the revised edition that they released a couple of years after the main box came out, they really outlined the whole culture of the whole place because they explain exactly where everything came from. You know, how things and how they screwed up the world and how everything changed because of the nice. bloody greed. And it was absolutely such a beautiful read. It was lovely, lovely to read that. So, so yeah. that, that's, an, that's an interesting point. And uh, I'm going to be called a hypocrite now because I can't stand people spending too much time talking about the history of a game world because I can't role play in the past. But there's something important about what you just said about how you need to know what came before just so you know what came, how we got to now. Well, and it makes it, it can become relevant because suddenly you can use the far past into your present to create your adventures and the reasons why things are actually happening. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you another example of, of a book that explores that. And I'm, I'm so, so God, I'm looking forward to the second edition. Um, Sarah Newton wrote uh, Songs of Distant Earth, I think it was. Um, oh, I can't remember now the name of, of the game. And it's annoying because it's an adventure I played with her in 99. Uh, so, it's, blimey, that's nearly 20 years ago. I'm old. Anyway, um, it's basically you have your currently medieval sort of strange present. But before this, there was a civilization that you can still see some speckles of from, from time to time. And you can still see some of the um, spaceships and labs that were used, you know, like a million years ago. And, and she explains how that civilization came to fall and how the new civilization was actually built on top of it and the previous civilization was forgotten. Right. 
and the richness that you can actually create something from the distant past into your present and shape the world as you go along because the technology that you rediscover actually helps you in the present and you can try and replicate it at some point and maybe perhaps if you're very lucky that that helps a great deal and, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful wonderful way of, of playing i think dark sun and that game work amazingly well uh, I yeah I I'm looking at her website now. Uh, she worked on Mindjammer. Yeah, well, she's oh, that, yeah. that's the best science fiction game to date. That is a masterpiece on cultural exploration. Masterpiece. Excellent. I will have to check it out. Seriously, it's it's so so. Oh God, I could spend the whole night talking about Mindjammer. Well, I think what we should talk about next is maybe now that we know at least what makes up culture, what is the value of including it and making something unique, how does that affect the gameplay? How does that change? If you have 30 pages of information on your culture, is that going to change how you interact with the game? Or are you still going to wait for your turn and have the DM tell you what you can do? No, I I think, at least for me, that changes an awful lot of stuff. A great, great deal of stuff. And it actually can help you make people understand why you're behaving the way you're behaving. Um, it, it really it really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I may give you an example, I played once uh, in a Pathfinder campaign uh, a halfling who found a war horse. <laughs> Back to this. <laughs> Back yes. to this. Sorry, we've done this before. Okay. Now, it's awesome. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, the, the reason I, I was so, so in love with that war horse is because I wanted it to become my familiar. Right. And having a familia was very important to me because I grew up among uh, orc druids who took me on when I was abandoned, when I was a child, because I was, you know, a product of some incestuous shit. Okay. Now, uh, not understanding why it was so important for me, that horse, that, that little bit of my character culture, and I think this is something that we can talk about as well, that it doesn't have to be just a world culture. It can be the culture that you invent for your own character, that the, the story. Um, that can make a difference into how people look at the way that you play and why things are important to you or not. Right. Right, but there, that, I've seen that used at poor purposes too, or cross purposes as well, is people will come up with cultural rules or values that are perfectly in line with how they wanted to play their character anyway. Yeah. Now I can justify why my character hates everybody. Instead of using culture, instead of using it as a tool, it's get used as a crutch. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. Yes, it does. And I, I think that, and I do this a little bit without, I hate, you know, I hate it when I do this. Um, I do this a little bit in Praxis, right. which is your character sheet has positives and negatives that are going to happen to you or that you're going to do during the course of the game. If you fill out all the negatives on your sheet, the game ends. But if you fill out all the positives, the game ends. So mm-hmm. how the story you end up telling for your character is just determined on how well you succeed. And so having something bad happen to you in a story and any role-playing game is just another thing that happens to you. And people often look at it as failure instead of, well, this is just something else to grow from. And so... The, the point of all of that is that culture is doesn't shouldn't be seen as a positive or negative that gives me bonuses. It should be seen as a tool for allowing me to tell different kinds of stories, better stories, deeper stories, richer stories, whatever word you want to use. Um, 
and if culture is only used to grant you a plus three bonus to your language check, then I, I, I don't think you're using it right. Agreed. Right, I, I, I think we have, you know, um, I'm granted. Um, what's the words? I'm what's the word I'm looking for? We've we've spoken enough bullshit for one night, haven't we? <laughs> we've spoken quite a bit of bullshit for one night. Well, we've been at it for nearly an hour now. And yes, yeah, I have to edit out a couple of minutes, but then we've been yeah. at it for nearly an hour. And you know, I I think we could keep going about it, but I'm not sure that this is being all that RPG relevant <laughs> anyway. No, no, and this is this is tough, right? Because this is one of those instances where understanding something outside of geekdom will help you be better at geekdom. And a lot of people just want the veneer of geekdom without without an education, right? A, a lot of people turn to this hobby because it's an escape. It's not a reflection of the world that they're having. So a lot of what we're saying is only going to be valuable to a small segment of people who want this kind of thing. And I, I think the majority of people are happy with what they have, with how culture is represented in games. I personally have never... I've never enjoyed it. I think it's um, I think it's a dumbing down of writing in games to just keep presenting material as you know halflings like to eat food. You know, and I think from now on, I am actually going to enjoy it even less too because now I know a little bit more about it. Thank you. Sure. You just Glad ruined, I could help. Yeah, just ruin my experience, you jerk. <laughs> Well, so here's one of the problems I run into all the time when I'm playing games because I play a lot of GMless games and I play a lot of one shots with people. Is there's a lot of hidden mysteries and gems that I'll put into a book, and if people are just playing it and they're not reading the book, they're missing out on a layer of culture that I've I've tried to put in there. And so I've actually written a couple of protocols where I say read all of these character classes aloud to the table just so people can see the entire spectrum of culture that's going on. And I, I think all of what we're saying is useless if you were just sitting at the table making a character based on the spreadsheets that Wolfslayer provided for you, whatever the name of that company is that does all the game um, spreadsheets. I think if you're not reading the books, if you're not getting into the depth of what we're talking about, this is all useless anyway. True, true. Fair, 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 fair enough indeed. Right, let's let's call it a night. Um, yeah, let's call it a night. Thank you, thank you um, to maybe some listeners that have really lasted this long, perhaps, for being there. And if you have not, then screw you. And it doesn't matter because you haven't heard this anyway, so you won't feel right. offended. Uh, so if if Sam is listening. Yes. Thank you. And if he's not listening, screw him. Uh, you know how right? we, but we can find out if Sam is actually listening. Very, very easily. We just have to mention John. Yeah. Okay. Right. John uh, Hodgson. Yeah. Hi, Jack Hodgson. Hello. Um, see if you're using until the end. And if you're done, screw you. We like you more than Sam. Yeah, we do. An awful lot more. Uh, but do, do we like him as much as Leonard Pimentel? Um, I, Leonard's my favorite, so oh, oh, I okay. can't say that Gareth is listening. Gareth is my favorite. Oh, okay. Um, so you just okay. So which one is your favorite, Gareth or Leonard? Because you just confused yes, me. Yes, yes, yes. No, you have to Florida choose. Man. Florida Man is my favorite. 